Vexy's musical podcast. Not to get too deep here, but according to the philosophy of de-evolution, man has become a product of reverse evolution, suggesting that man could regress back to a more primitive form of itself. After more than a year of quarantine, social distancing, TikTok videos, the Tide Pod Challenge, and all seven episodes of The Tiger King, it's pretty clear that de-evolution wasn't such a crazy idea after all. Nevertheless, now that the pandemic appears to be on its last legs and things seem to be opening back up, it's now time to reconsider going to concerts to see artists play the music they wrote while stuck in their homes like everybody else. And among those who have been very busy during the pandemic has been Jerry Casali from the band Devo. And while Devo has not put out an album in nearly 11 years, Jerry Casali is about to release brand new music with Jihad Jerry and the Evildoers featuring nearly all of his Devo bandmates, plus Steve Bartek from Oingo Boingo. In fact, I've been granted permission to play the new single for you, and I will. And then we're going to talk to Jerry Casali of Devo. This is I'm Going to Pay You Back from Jerry Casali on Baxi's Musical Podcast. A bullet for your war of attrition and your exploitation of the human condition. A duplicitous man on a curious mission waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back right now. What you're selling, I ain't buying. Your lips are moving. That means you're lying. You appropriated credit. You let them think you said it. I got to give you credit. That trick is impressive. Ain't this bullet makes 
it's a real pleasure to talk to you. I've, I've, I have been a spud since the very beginning, and uh, to so to have you here is is really awesome. I I just heard the new single. I'm going to pay you back, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's you know for any for any Devo fan, it's it's exactly what you're expecting. And even if you're uh, looking for something different, it's not so much like Devo that uh, it couldn't be something completely uh, unique. Right. So wonderful. Right. It's a little a little less pretentious and a little more real. Yeah, it it it, it certainly is that. But everybody or you know nearly everybody uh, with Devo is involved in it somehow so tell us how that yeah. came about well you know that this is uh basically uh with the exception of the new song and and a couple unreleased tracks this is a re-release of something that i wrote uh in 2005 um when we were under duress with another authoritarian right-wing uh government <laughs> and uh and the iraq war had been trumped up ginned up with false uh, intelligence. Right. Intelligence is definitely a misnomer. It usually and, is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, like Team America, military intelligence, and they talk like this. <laughs> and uh, nothing smart. Anyway, um, so on, on many of those original tracks that I did back then, uh, Mark and... Bob Mothersbaugh and I were still in contact. So they did play on a few of them. And my brother, uh, Bob, helped me with all the tracks. And, and so it, it came and went. I released that. I think uh, Cordless Records made 1,000 copies or something. <laughs> Nobody knew it came out. There was no promotion. Nobody understood the satire of Jihad Jerry <laughs> with, uh, you know, mine is not a holy war. Uh, right. Although I thought that was funny right <laughs> it, it, now the problem is not the problem but the truth is and we all know this the de-evolution is so real that 16 years later 17 years later this isn't outrageous anymore and everybody gets the humor it's interesting how you know the the idea of de-evolution that you know that, that man has the capability to resort to a more primitive form of itself just proves itself over and over again, you know, even when you go back to when you guys were, you know, students at Kent State and you had the Kent State massacre, right. you wonder, well, you know, is there really something to this de-evolution? And it's really kind of hard to argue against it. Correct. That's why, yeah, it's not a polarizing idea anymore. People just go, oh, yeah, de-evolution. Yeah, it's happening. You know, they, <laughs> uh, that's how terrible it is. And, 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 you know, we weren't just joking. This was based on information and observation of, of, of the species, you know, almost anthropological research. <laughs> and it wasn't just politics either. Uh, the problem with humans is the fatal flaw in their duality. They're capable of great stuff, you know, capable of fantastic uh, production of, of flights of fancy and uh, wizardry and art. And then those same people that are capable of that are capable of, uh, you know, raping, betraying, gaslighting, pilgrimage, mm -hmm. pil pil sorry, pillaging, <laughs> uh, you know, it's and, and in the same breath. And so uh, as we proliferate on the planet and go from, you know, 
under a billion to now 7 billion and going strong, all the worst tendencies of human nature are just exacerbated and multiplied in a, uh, what's the word, exponential manner. Do you, do you remember where you learned about this philosophy? Because, I mean, it's not just a band creation. This was this was a, a legitimate philosophy that had been out there for for quite a while. But, I mean, as you know, as clearly you're illustrating now, I mean, it is it is a serious, definable, you know, quantitative means of thought. My friend Jeff Winter uh, has been um, collecting headlines for the last year, you know, using a, uh, a search tool that say de-evolution, de-evolved, devolved, devolving. It's, he's amassed something like 400 headlines from social science, from politics, from uh, sports, and, and from um, psychology and right. medicine. So it's taken hold. Nobody used to talk like this. When we talked about de-evolution and de-evolving, people just thought, oh, yeah, these whacked out, crazy artists with this, <laughs> you know, dumbass kind of like smartass satire going on here. Um, and now it's been embraced by legitimate journalists in well, every field. Well, I think when you consider all the things that, even if you just look at the United States, for example, if you just look at this country, you know, all the nonsense that we've been putting ourselves through for for so many years, right. everything from politics to even the way we converse with each other. You know, we are, right. it is a very clear end here where we have gone as a species. And I don't think in... To be honest, I mean, in a lot of ways, I don't think technology has helped us get out of it. In some ways, I think it's made it's it's made us worse. Right. Well, we, you know, Devo was aware of that from the beginning. Our social commentary and our satire was all based on the the uh, double-edged sword of technology. Right. Clearly, technology is a tool. Technology could allow amazing advances where you you know you 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 accelerate information, you accelerate innovation, you accelerate scientific discovery and apply it to uh, useful functional things in whether it's machinery, medicines, computers, whatever. And we saw all that happen. But going along concurrently with that and just as powerful is the misuse of technology to dumb people down further, crush their freedom, create a kind of a beehive mentality and an authoritarian, tyrannical mentality and so that people can't think for themselves, so that conformity is, is, is just, you know, accelerated, like conformity is given a three-stage rocket into space. And we talked about that as students, jokingly, like my friend Bob Lewis and I and some professors at Kent State started talking about this. And... One of the professors said, oh, you're, you're talking about de-evolution. That's interesting. You put, you put the hyphen in what's been going on in Irish politics now for 20 years. They talk about devolution all the time as a solution, but it's a political kind of application. And what it means is the unraveling of reason and the unraveling of order. So entropy. And they, and they actually advanced that as a... Um, a great solution. Like sometimes there's no better way out of a situation than to let it devolve. But that's, they were limiting it that to, to 
the uh, conflict between Britain and, and Ireland in local politics. And so that just gave us more fodder, more fuel. And we're like, okay, we're talking about a meta idea here. This is meta, <laughs> de-evolution with the hyphen. This is about the, 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 the problem with human beings at the core. Now, when you're having this conversation with your professor at Kent State, was this before yeah. or after the massacre that happened back in this the This is 70s? after. All takes place after the killings. See, because at that point, a sea change happened. I, I snapped. I was a member of SDS, but I was still like, you know, a liberal hippie that thought there was just bad players, you know, bad actors, but the system was good and democracy was sound and there was freedom <laughs> and there was justice, but there were some bad people trying to, you know, chip away at that. Well, I got set straight, you know, I took the red pill. That's what Kent State was. That's what the killings were. It's like, no, your whole life has been this, you know, illusion. It's been this sales job on America and the brand of freedom. There never was. There never was equality. There never was respect for information. There never was the triumph of the best ideas. It's always been ugly and dirty, just as America started with slavery and, and, and the subjugation of the working class. Guess what, Jerry? You were just some middle-class kid who didn't open his eyes. And now your eyes were open. And now you go back and revisit everything you're told. You go, they lied. The teachers lied. The parents lied. The cops lied. And now you get terminally pissed off. Or at least I did. I've and read, depressed. <laughs> I, I've read you know multiple interviews with you about Kent State, and uh, what I what I hear out of this was like you say it's it's a it's a life changing moment, and you know the facade yeah. of of the truth, you know that we had been uh, blinded by, you know gets lifted between right. that and Watergate, and you know the weapons of mass destruction, and and uh, and about race even today and all the different things that have come across our consciousness over the last you know 50 years or so maybe longer than that of all those things that have come in, you know before us we start to realize hey you know what maybe it ain't all what it seems to be maybe the maybe right. the american way of life is is nothing more than an illusory dream and that's how that's right. what i i hear when i've i've read your statements about what de-evolution is about and what Kent State meant to you, not only as an artist, but more importantly, as a human being, what that meant to you. Yeah, the brand of America as being, you know, some bastion of truth and justice uh, was a sales job. That's like a massive marketing campaign by, you know, the best agency that you could find, right? And and it worked for some. It always worked for some. There were those, mostly Caucasians, mostly men, who did thrive in that system. And we've seen it now. It's a cliche, you know, over and over and over and over. You watch Mad Men. That's what Mad Men was all about. And, and so many other. And, and Ken Burns documentaries and so on. Anyway, it was never true. So now you, you reach the spork in the road like, okay. It was never true, but 
the good side of human nature, we could try to actually, for real, form a more perfect union and make it true. Now that a lot of people are awakened to the hypocrisy, or we could just abandon the illusion of, of freedom and freedom of information and go the way of China. And Devo's, uh, you know, in a glass half full, glass half empty world, Devo's conclusion was it's much more likely that we're going down the rabbit hole into China. Given human nature, this is the easier way out. Just like it's really easy to be a bad guy. Like everybody loves movies with evil villains, right? Because they're more interesting on the surface. And, but it only takes one good guy, like one actual like courageous good guy to make a huge difference and hold the evil in check. Boy, there's an absence of those guys now. That's <laughs> <laughs> very true. So when you guys yeah. started the band, and obviously you're you're young at the time, you've you've had this experience and you're looking at this philosophy with uh you know with real seriousness and all you know with a real earnest effort. The the early stages of Devo and and I saw the uh the video the the truth about de-evolution on, on YouTube, and I know it's like the earliest or one of the earlier mutations of 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 Devo. There's a well, we made that in 1976. Yeah, right. 1976. Right. And when it was when it was made, you know, it, in some ways it reminded me a little bit of like craft work in that there was a, a, a loss of humanity in the presentation that I think <laughs> was probably you know, I don't think American audiences were all were all that exposed to that at the time. But was was craft work a band that that was uh, inspirational to you in, in, in any way? Because it, it just it felt like it. It did. And and. The truth is that Kraftwerk was more of a band that scared the shit out of us because you have to understand that we didn't become aware of them until we were well into what we were doing. We had been doing the, the Devo thing for two and a half years, and that movie, at least on storyboards, was written and ready to be shot when we, when we discover the big record in America that came out, and I go see Kraftwerk. And I'm going, oh shit. They're doing us, and now we're fucked. Your first indication is we didn't work hard enough. We weren't serious enough. Somebody beat us to it. But the more I looked at that and listened to the record, I thought, well, no, we're doing something different. And it's what we're doing is, is, is uniquely American. Like those guys were high art and clean, but they didn't bring in the kind of smelly factor of 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 uh, uncomfortable information you know what i mean right we right. were maybe craft work from the waist up but we were elvis from the waist down <laughs> and and we were bringing in things that were transgressive and not cool to talk about and not cool to show and that's exactly what made devo devo was exposing this kind of transgressive art. Well, I, I think one of the things that that's, that's interesting about that is, you know, it, it's a guy like David Bowie, who just, who, you know, a, a guy who's European, who kind of takes you under his wing a little bit and says, this is the band yeah. of the future. And, and certainly he, he, got was, he, he certainly got it. got it. Yeah. He, he totally got it. What a great guy. You can't, you can't 
say enough good about Bowie because he just, he is almost like these alien characters he played. He was such a superior human being. And I know we've read about his dark side and some of the underhanded things he did and who he stole from. But if you look at his body of work and look at how he presented himself and when he made these songs, he's just head, there's no, there's no peer. There's nobody on his level. And he's so charming and so smart. He could have talked you into anything. You know, you could think you're the straightest guy in the world, but he'll he'll take you to his hotel room and you won't think you're uh, doing anything, right? <laughs> you, you just think, oh, I'm with David Bowie. He, he was amazing. He was yeah. just so charming, so smart, and he got it. He totally got it. When he s- met you guys for the very first time, was it clear that he yeah. got it the very first time, or was it something that he had to, yeah. you know, kind of ruminate in his head before he really came to an understanding of no, what you were no, trying to he do? He made all the right comments. No, he made all the right comments. You got to remember, he had he had already done. He had intended to do a full musical based on Animal Farm. It didn't happen, and he, instead, he made the album Diamond Dogs with these references to Brave New World and Animal Farm in 1984. So. He knew that we were talking about how the supposedly free population in Western society had become like the sheep in Animal Farm that read the rules on the side of the barn that the pigs write for them. Mm-hmm. And then the next day they forget the rules and the pigs rewrite the rules. And then the, the sheep, you know, on, uh, read the new rules and a horse goes, that didn't say that yesterday. And the sheep go, yes, it did. Right. In other words, we knew that we were surrounded by the people that live with their heads in the sand or in Plato's cave, reacting to shadows on the wall that were just repeating mindless sound bites and authoritarian talking points from evangelicals or commercials like don't ask why drink bud dry. Right. (laughs) We were watching mindless conformity over and over and over that just was pages straight out of, of, of Animal Farm. And then the double think of society straight out of 1984, where two and two is five. And you better, you better own up to that. You better say it's five, or it's going to be like the Chinese proverb, where the nail that sticks out gets pounded, mm-hmm. meaning conform, or you're going to go down. And It was as strong then as it is now, except now it's just in numbers alone, just in intensity alone, it's a thousand times bigger. And that's why you're seeing we're living in a black mirror episode every day. You're in an alternate reality nightmare. And there's 53% of Republicans that believe the election was stolen and believe that the Capitol riots were just... uh, another day of tourists at the Capitol. I mean, it'd be like if you were Copernicus and went in front of the Pope and said, no, sir, the earth is around. It's not flat, right? It's not, <laughs> the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. It's like off with his head, right? That's where we're at. It's funny to me that, you know, based on everything you're, you're, we're talking about here, for many people, Devo seemed almost like a joke. Like it didn't like, even if people took the time to really kind of understand the philosophy of it, they saw it as a joke and not something that right. was serious. I, I mean, I remember seeing right. 
you guys on Saturday Night Live the first time, and you played yeah. uh, Satisfaction. I'm, I'm sitting there with my parents, and they and they both looked at me and said, "What the hell is this?" And I'm like, "This is awesome." I mean, what a what a bold move to do, uh, you know, a Rolling Stones cover on national TV and 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 have it be so different. But in every subsequent appearance, when de-evolution was was discussed it was like hard for people to really grasp what kind of is a pretty simple philosophical idea and 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 one that is almost it's almost hard to argue against when you consider all the things that have gone on i know we're talking about this a lot but i mean really it it, it's it's defined your your whole life and your your entire career because what it did is it it created this this almost hermetically sealed sphere because it was a meta concept where inside that sphere, it allowed us to have an articulated point of view and a worldview that informed all the songwriting and all the videos and all the stage shows. It was, it was all coming from a place, a cohesive place. Just like when you hear albums back in the day when albums were real albums, if you like one song on them, you're probably going to like six six of the songs, five of the songs, because there was they were as you know in our men like to say they were of a piece, meaning there was some set of convictions and aesthetic tools that were informing them all. You know, it, there was a big idea there, right? And so an album represented when an artist came out with an album, you put it on, you couldn't shuffle it. You know, you couldn't really skip around. I mean, not without effort on the needle. <laughs> and you listened to it beginning to end because the sequence was intentional. The artists had thought it out. There was a real reason one song was coming after another. <laughs> and there was a reason for the last song on the record. And so music had value. When it came to, to record companies trying to understand this and understanding what you're... Because it was, I mean, if people put themselves at the at the time, you know, 19... 19- 79 1980 record companies were you know were looking to pass out hits and they were looking to you know make money on their investments and i have to believe that there were record companies trying to figure out okay david bowie's in, is for this brian eno's producing it uh there's all kinds of people who are getting it are we getting it did they, did the record companies at the time understand what you were trying to do absolutely not <laughs> They, they only, like you said, they only signed us because they knew that Kip Cohen that had signed the Tubes almost signed us. They knew that David Bowie thought we were great, that Brian Eno was saying, I want to produce these guys because Bowie's too busy. They knew that Neil Young was telling both Elliot Roberts and Warners they should pick us up before it's too late. So they're just thinking, okay. There's something going on here with these guys. We think they're just weird. You know, they want, they want to make videos. They're artists. But, hey, maybe they'll make us money. So we'll just, you know, we'll take a chance. We'll roll the dice. And that's what they did. They didn't get it at all. They just thought they didn't want to miss out in case they were wrong. So when you guys came up with Whip It a couple years later, I think it was 1980 right. or, or whatever, and it winds up yeah. being a major hit like uh, like a, a genre defining hit for for new wave bands for years to come right. 
did that I mean, obviously with a hit that changes how record companies view you and what they want moving forward. But as a band, does having a hit and then also having a philosophy behind the music and what you do and the presentation that it comes with, did that seem in a way kind of at odds with each other that, I mean, you were on the Merv Griffin show for crying out loud. I mean, uh, I mean, nothing, nothing yeah, says you. We thought, we, we thought that was like total subversion that suddenly Devo was on Mike <laughs> Douglas, Merv Griffin, uh, uh, Dick Clark, right? Yeah. Uh, um, David Letterman. Uh, yeah. And, and we're like grinning and chuckling the whole time because <laughs> clearly we always who were who uh, we were who we were. And we had an idea of what we wanted to do. And finally, we found a way to make it palatable, right? right? We didn't do that on purpose. We just found the way. Well, now the problem was Warner's thought, oh, now we get it. And now they're all happy with us. And now we're the hero, right? But Devo had always been changing. If you listen to each record, no record is like the last record because we were a brain trust and we were experimental and we were going to move on to the next idea. So they wanted us to just put out another freedom of choice for God's sake and another whip it or two. And we had no interest in that. Right. We, I don't even think we could have done it on purpose. So we were already moving on to some new ideas we had and that really flipped them out. It's like, Oh, these fuckers, we got this thing. We can now sit in the groove and milk it. And these idiots are doing something else, you know, they're using some what digital synthesizers now, and they're what you know, <laughs> all new gear. Oh shit! That stuff was important for you, but influential for a lot of other people that heard what you were yeah. doing and said, "Hey, you know what? Devo are great musicians, and these songs are great, but it, you know, it may not have the commercial well, potential." Creative people it. and musicians—they respected us. Yeah, other musicians and creative people totally respected us. And that was really gratifying that the people that you care about what they think actually thought well of you. Like if they hadn't, I would have been devastated. Yeah. Just like if Bowie said, oh, this is shit, right? Oh, that would have, that <laughs> right. would have just killed me. That would have really right. like shriveled my soul. <laughs> but all the people that we cared about said good things about us. So that was, that's the, that's the encouragement we needed. That's the value system we had. So what happens next, though, is that now, so now a lot of idiots like you for the wrong reasons. And now they don't want you to change. <laughs> and so now you change and you really piss them off. That sounds like a story that could be told a thousand different times by a thousand yeah. different artists about how exactly. uh, the, the lack of understanding of, of, uh, of our, I forgot who I was inter interviewing, but they described it as that that record companies are typically run by people who don't like music. And, uh, and that's probably pretty that's, accurate. That, yeah, it's a cliche, but it's a, because cliches exist because they're often true most times. Right. And, and you got to remember, uh, Prince was signed to Warner Brothers. So we got to know who Prince was and we were following all his new music. And our A&R man would play Prince demos that were coming in that became then songs on a record. And they were all freaked out at Prince because the album that had When Doves Cry on it 
They thought it was a loser with no single. They didn't know what to do. They thought Prince had lost it. They wanted him to stick with little red Corvette kind of stuff. And he's, he's the same kind of guy. Like, fuck you, I'm doing this now. <laughs> I mean, that guy could write five albums in a month. He was so prolific anyway. So they seized upon when Dubs cry because he loved it. And they thought, okay, we'll hang him by his own petard, right? We'll, what a whack song. There's not even a chorus. Like, this, does, this doesn't even follow the formula. And they released it. Ha, huh, big hit. So it's like, what did they know, right? <laughs> but they didn't take that same kind of attitude with Devo. You know, they kind of doubled down and they came to us and said, we don't hear a hit here. <laughs> we don't hear a single. And you probably said, and we don't either. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, yeah. If you thought we wrote Whip It, sitting down going, let's write a hit. You're out of your mind. Right. You know, it was just another song we wrote. I, I heard there's a documentary that has been released maybe just in, in Australia about, about Devo. Is yeah, it's kind of a documentary. It's not a Devo documentary. What that is, is um, two guys came from Australia. They're TV producers. And they love the song Beautiful World. Mm -hmm. And they think the evolution theory, they totally respect it, take it seriously. They think we were prophetic, you know, that we were prescient ahead of our times. And what they wanted to do is focus on Beautiful World now. This was one month before the pandemic. And talk about how in the 40 years between when we wrote it and now, how right we were about the theory of de-evolution. So it's called de-evolution of theory. And of course, I was the one able to give them most of my time. And I'm the one that always spoke and articulated about the ideas of de-evolution because it did start as a literary thing and an art thing before it became a musical application with Mark. And so, you know, Mark talked a little, but I, I'm on camera maybe 40 minutes talking about the beginning and when we wrote Beautiful World and talking about now and the difference between the culture now and then, and they couldn't sell it. And it's very well done. They're smart guys. And the information in it is really cool. Uh, you know, I rarely see anything where people come and shoot us and we talk about what we're saying, you know, what we think. And then well, I don't recognize it. Like it's so bad what comes out, right? <laughs> You're embarrassed. You want to disown them. Well, right. I, I stand behind this. This is like, they. They got it. They did a nice job for no money. When I found out that it even existed, I'm like, why haven't, why hasn't it been here in the States? And it just, it surprises me when you, when you, when you hear that, you know, there's no, you know, there's no uh, American market for it. It sounds insane. Cause I mean, I know many people that would love to see this. I know too. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that again, uh, always, always the way someone just simply doesn't understand it. It's, well, you know, cause it doesn't talk about drug use and, and, screwing and losing money. You know, you know what I mean? That's all America wants. I do want to ask you about the band and, and where it stands now. I know you guys have got some dates that are, that are planned. I mean, you know, after the last you know year and a half, the idea of bands coming out and, and performing again is something that I think all of us are really looking forward to it. Tell me how uh, you feel about coming out and playing with the, uh, with, with the, the guys again. Is it, is it something you're really looking forward well, forward to or, or, well, I would have never stopped. Are you kidding? I mean, I'm, I'm not the guy that put Devo on ice. Right. I mean, Devo had all this talent and all this potential and all these ideas. We should have had 
a movie. We should have had a musical. We should have had a whole design studio. I mean, it's all there. I'm serious. We're, we're capable of fulfilling that. And so the fact that, you know, Mark put it on ice and went elsewhere uh, to use his talents for kids shows and stuff was, you know, depressing. And then year after year, we'd be offered as Devo became, quote, a legacy act and people started to get it like, oh, man, you guys were really right. You were so cool live. Nobody. I mean, you you guys, nobody appreciates Devo, man. You're under marketed and underseen. So they start offering huge hunks of money for us to play live. And Mark says, no, no, no. Year after year. I mean, money that would have changed my life. And and suddenly, how perverse is it that post pandemic, when the promoters are crying poor and now reducing the offers that they used to bring us by as much as 20% when Mark said not enough money. Now he said yes to less money. <laughs> so maybe he's decided that there's a final act here before we all leave the planet. Do you think that this is that you would only just be doing the show? I mean, do you think there'd be more recording between you guys? Is, is that a possibility or is it just about these performances? No, you know, I completely drove that idea in 2010 when we recorded something for everybody. Uh, I single-handedly made that happen. And, uh, and that was an anomaly because for 20 years, Mark wouldn't write Devo songs. And I suppose that's why back in 2005, I just, I just recorded songs. It took me back to my roots, my R&B and blues roots songs that I loved and influences that I loved. And I wrote some original stuff and I covered some stuff and it was just all under that satirical alter ego of Jihad Jerry. But I thought certainly people have to laugh at a 60 year old man in a Sam, the sham and a Pharaoh, uh, <laughs> you know, turban, um, white man that says mine is not a holy war. And my byline and all my publicity was, Mine is not a holy war. It's, a, it's as futile and useless as the war on drugs, right? And my war was against stupidity. And if you're fighting a, if you're fighting a war on stupidity, you're going to lose. Well, and that's what I was making a joke about. Now yeah. more people are paying attention to it. And there's two unreleased tracks that I recorded back then. And there's this new song, I'm going to pay you back, which is about betrayal and gaslighting and what people do to each other that I've been through in my personal life over and over and over, and I've had enough of. But I know that talking to people, there's millions of people in their own lives, in their own towns, with their friends, with their wives, with their husbands, have had the same thing happen to them, where you feel completely like so depressed and suicidal and ready, ready to give up because of betrayal and gaslighting. And uh, a major pandemic doesn't help people in that position either that's for sure that is for damn sure i have to say when i when i heard the the the, the new track or the the, the i'm gonna pay you back all i could do was smile through the whole thing it was like one of those <laughs> things where you know it, it was so good to have you back and the idea of devo back in some way i i love what you've done with the uh with the release of this it's it's coming in three different formats the artwork is really really cool and I oh, saw, Tomo. Tomo is great yeah He's great. it's it's really really uh well done 
And I saw a, a preview of uh, a video preview. I don't know if that's going to be the full video or a part or, or a part of the video, but the visuals of this preview that I saw were were also really uh, really provocative too. Elements of Tomo's graphics have been animated, and they are in the video. So it's like an animated album cover, but it's also live action shot on green screen. It's two and three D CGI back backdrops. And there's a narrative. And uh, I play two characters. I play Jihad Jerry, obviously. But I also play Jerry from Devo. And, and you've got experience and in at least it, one of those. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you a, a rough cut of the video. We're going to release it July 9th. But I want you to see it. I do want, I, I do want to see it. Don't let it out. I'll, I'll know who did it. Oh, I'm not, I, listen, I am not going to be the one to, 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 to step in your pile of shit. That's, you, that's yours. That's yours to do. And I, again, I, I appreciate you know, the time and getting a, a chance to talk to you. I, I, I do have to say, just to prove that I've been with you for a long time, I, I, I do have my own energy dome. I do. Right. I, I've had this for, for years and have uh, pulled this out whenever I've felt the need for it. But with headphones, I can't put them on right now. But uh, but I've always been a big fan. So, Jerry, I'm thrilled that you are uh, you're doing stuff and you're staying busy and you're healthy and you're doing good. So thanks for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks All for right. talking to me. Thank you, Jerry. So a couple of things. You can follow Jerry Casali and get his new record this week at GeraldVCasali.com. And although we didn't get to talk about it, you can also find out about his wine vineyard in California and check out that website. It's the50by50.com. Thanks again for listening. You can always reach me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. And we'll see you next time on Baxi's Musical Podcast.